Listener supported. WNYC Studios. Soul enters another golden era. This is Soundcheck. I'm John Schaefer. And today on the program, we ask whether 60s and 70s soul revival acts are breaking the mold or just cookie-cutter creations. We'll ask you to weigh in as well. And later, the jazz passengers, once described as hard bop imagined by Frank Zappa, have reunited and will play live in our studio. But first, we seem to be in the midst of a great soul revival. A Broadway show has rekindled interest in the Nigerian Afrobeat pioneer Fela Kuti. There are retro acts like Kings Go Forth, the Budos Band, and of course this act, Sharon Jones and the Dap Kings, all bringing back a kind of retro soul sound. And they've all been on soundcheck. So you can assign part of the blame or credit perhaps to us. And here to discuss whether blame or credit should be involved, whether these acts are innovators or simply imitators, are Siddhartha Mitter, music writer for the Boston Globe and former cultural reporter here at WNYC. Siddhartha, welcome back. Hey, John. Nice to see you. And Sasha Frere-Jones, music critic for The New Yorker. Sasha, welcome back to you. Hey, John. Uh, let me start, Sasha, with you. Why are these acts, if their their sound is so old, why are they so popular today? Um... I started from a different place, but in terms of that answer, I think there was a, a recent comment. Uh, somebody had a, an interview that was based on the piece that I wrote, and these guys in a disco band called Escort, one of them really summed up the whole thing by saying, how can you be nostalgic for something you didn't experience the first time? So I think some of what's happening with uh, these acts is it isn't necessarily bringing in older listeners who feel like, oh, the good old days are back. It's a sound people don't necessarily know. It's a sound like any other thing. It, it you know, it, it's equal to any other sound, and and they see something, and it's the first time they've ever seen it. It doesn't remind them of something because they're too young to have gone through, gone through it. So it's not a revival really to them. Although in the case of Sharon Jones, who's in her fifties, sure, you know, she oh she herself is having you know she's having any number of flashbacks. But you know, <laughs> the twenty two year olds in the front row at a at Prospect Park, I don't think necessarily they were flashing back to anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Siddhartha. What's wrong with, you know, the idea of, of reviving a sound that, for many younger listeners, is, is still new to them? Absolutely nothing. Uh, when I listened to Sharon Jones and the Dap Kings song by song, uh, you know, there was this old expression that somebody in hip-hop had that said, uh, you know, the, the head is nodding because the neck knows. And, you know, it, it makes me nod my head. I feel it. It's good, it's good music song by song. It's, it's, uh, it's beautiful. It's well-interpreted. And it reminds me of uh, music that, sure, I, I, I was probably just being born, I think Sasha and I are probably the same age, right about the time that the source that the source material for this kind of music was being made. So uh, a butt you know, it might be subliminal. But to <laughs> me, I I will still I will still first of all I always find myself going back to the original material. It just doesn't move me that much. I don't go back to re listen to Sharon Jones coming off the shelf. And secondly, even though song by song I like this kind of music, it's the totality. Uh it's what it's the conditions under which the music is being made. It's what's the politics here. It's what does it say about how we consume music and taste making and what music makes it to the market that interests me the most. When you say politics, I mean, this is, uh, you know, Sharon Jones and the Dap Kings, to, to continue with this particular example, they record old school, you know. It's, it's, it's done acoustic as opposed to in a digital studio and stuff. 
what 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 politics are, are you you know what what about the way the recording is made bothers you no nothing really i mean that's that's fine i mean there's nothing wrong with deciding that you're going to make your pieces of music according to methods and technologies that have to be rigorously pre-1974 as you know gabriel roth the leader of daptone does that's that's fine he's 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 an archivist he's a curator and he believes in the purity of that sound people should make whatever kind of art they feel like making and people should like whatever they feel like liking to me, the problem is that that music was made in a context, in a social and political context. It was race music. You mean it the was original race, soul music? Absolutely. It was, it, was, it was race music. It was music of struggle. It was music that took place in a particular context in America. I worry about the separation between that context and the appreciation that a whole new audience has for it now. Sasha, uh, in your article in The New Yorker, you, you sort of mm -hmm. tell us how you went from one side, maybe from Siddhartha's side of this argument, to the other side, you know, thinking at first, oh, what, they're just reinventing the wheel, to actually getting into this music quite seriously. W what was it that changed it for you? I, well, I would hope, I, I hope there's more than one side to the whole thing, because I don't think I'm on a particular side. And I think Siddhartha has a good point about the original context of the music, which has probably been lost. I think what happened to me, it, it's kind of a, a nerdy moment, but I was reading a, a Kundera book, and I'm not going to go through the quote because I want to keep it moving. But really what interested me was going from this feeling of, hey, wait a minute, I've heard this before. I think I would echo what Siddhartha just said. Like, I've got these records. Do I need to hear them again? And the records kept coming, and I started seeing shows that I liked. But an idea emerged to me when I started thinking about how long we've had popular music for. And I think the moment where I had a sort of an idea that there may be a different paradigm now was that I thought, okay, in theater and in books and in other art forms, we accept that there's a canon. We accept that there's a repertory. We do not think that Shakespeare is dead. We do not think that there is nothing left to be gotten from, you know, to use the example in Kundera, from uh, uh, Tristram Shandy. So why isn't it okay for us to have... This, the pull between the repertory and the innovation. The two can push against each other because especially now that the time is passing, these acts are becoming more vigorous because I think the anxiety is less there because these people, most of the people they're drawing from are dead or absent. And I think that makes it a little bit easier. And I don't think that's necessarily at odds with the people who are always trying to find the brand new space music we've never heard. Mm -hmm. I think the two always push against each other and it's okay for pop to now have a repertory, you know, so uh, which would certainly include James Brown. Would absolutely would include this guy, James Brown. So this is 1976. This is uh, some classic soul. Get up off of that thing. That's 1976. Skip ahead to this year, 2010, and a similar sound from Sharon Jones and the Dab Kings.
Sharon Jones and the Dap Kings. Money is the name of the song. And um, we're, we're talking about, you know, the, the soul revival. Are they innovators or imitators? My guests include Sasha Frere Jones, music writer for the, uh, the New Yorker, Siddhartha Mitter, who writes for the Boston Globe. And uh, it, uh, Siddhartha, is part of the problem that you have? I mean, you, you said it's, it's a question of context. The original music existed in a different context. What about the, the idea of, you know, uh, a group like the Dap Kings writing original music in an old style as opposed to a band that actually covers those songs? Is it, does that make a difference to you? Not, not really. I mean, I think that uh, there's, there's a certain amount of convergence. Sacha made a really good point in his New Yorker article that we're referencing where he says that, um, that Gabriel Roth and Dap Kings, uh, you know, bring minor improvements, can bring minor improvements to the blueprint. And I think that's absolutely right. Uh, there's, there is, uh, I love the idea that you can go back to the sound of a James Brown or anybody in the canon, and you can find new things inside of it. In that respect, this is pop music kind of behaving along the model of jazz, right? If, you, if, if a jazz artist right now, you know, uh, uh, like a, a, a friend of all of us, I think Vijay Iyer, you know, on his, on his most recent albums, he's got, he goes to Duke Ellington, he goes to Thel- Thel- Thelonious Monk, and he goes to MIA. You, right. can, you, can work, you can work with that, and you can take it in very conventional, traditional directions, or you can take it to a completely new place. I love the idea that pop is behaving that way and is finding its own canon, and pop moves so fast that it finds its canon in real time. All of that's, all of that's great. The question then is, and this is kind of a question I have for Sasha really, is to what extent does the success of a retro wave like this risk crowding out music that really is kind of, you know, underground, new, different, edgy that's coming out of the soul tradition, particularly by musicians who don't have the same access, uh, black musicians, uh, underground musicians, musicians from, you know, uh, unexpected like, parts like of the country. Who? Well, you know, I mean, there's, there's, I think every, every major city in the United States has got an underground soul scene to some extent coming out of like post-neo-soul, post-hip-hop mm-hmm. and so on. L.A., for example, has got a good scene with this. Did you just say post-neo-soul? Absolutely. Is that, what, is that what we've come down with now? Oh, things man. are post-neo? <laughs> neo-soul, as far as I'm concerned, neo-soul ended after like India Re. Well, this, so Martin Luther would be an example of the kind of artist you're talking about? That's, that's one example. There's Martin Luther and some other uh, musicians who are doing something where soul meets rock. Um, yeah, that's, that's a good example. Th- this is Martin Luther. This out to you, to you, because I care about you, baby. Nothing left to do, to do, no reason to doubt you, cause you're always on my mind. Sugar plum, honey, do I love you? I love you. Martin Luther. The song is called Daily Bread. And uh, Sasha Frere-Jones, uh, let me, you know, mm-hmm. throw Siddhartha Mitter's question to you. You know, do the soul revivalists who are getting a lot of acclaim crowd out of the market people like Martin Luther? 
I think my response to that would be the same no matter what genre we're talking about, which is I don't think it's ever a zero-sum game in the pop market unless you've got an incredibly, uh, who can blot out the sun, only maybe a Lady Gaga. She might be making it harder for slightly different dance artists right now. But you got to have a pretty huge footprint, and I don't think the Daptone family, even though they're better known, I don't think they can crowd out someone who's really got got something. Um, and if, if it's Martin Luther or whoever, I think other people can move into this. I'm interested in general in the idea, even beyond soul, that there are people now who can reach back into the canon and either make improvements on stuff that wasn't that good to begin with, like mm-hmm. a psych band like Dunyan from Sweden, who I prefer to most of the records that were handed to me as a kid that I never got, <laughs> um, and Dunyan are one of my favorite live bands in the world, or you get the the really interesting combination of the bands that are drawing from Afrobeat and either doing an amazing job being faithful like Andibalas or uh, a band that I love to pieces, the Budos Band, who are, have turned it into something not quite like Afrobeat, although they came out of it, and they're moving further away from it as they as they work. Well, some of the Antibalas guys uh, are notably in the uh, the, the uh, band, the pit band, for the Broadway musical Fela. Yes. And, and bring that sound. Now... You, and it's a pretty remarkable experience seeing a show that does not screw up popular music for once and does not turn it into something that, you know, well, Sasha, in, you. in your article in The New Yorker, you actually sort of admit to having the almost sacrilegious thought that, hey, maybe this band here in New York is playing Fela's music better than Fela's right, band and, I, and, of course, I admit that that's an impossibility insofar as I never saw Fela's band live. And I, a part of me knows that they must have been devastating, but I was always... Growing up with those records and being a James Brown fanatic, I was always a little bit unsure of what the big deal was because they never sounded, they still don't, to me, sound as powerful. But then when I started seeing this music live, I realized, okay, this just may be an accident, a fader of technology, hearing the Afrobeat live and, 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 and feeling it pulse and, and getting it full on. I thought, okay, this is no wonder, you know, everyone, Lutzi, everyone went over and saw Fela and had their minds blown. And maybe it simply wasn't documented as well as, you know, we were able to document it here. Well, let's uh, let's give people a chance to hear both. Here's the original 1977 recording of Fela Kuti and his band and the song Zombie. Zombie, oh, zombie. Zombie, oh, zombie. Zombie, not go, go, unless you tell him to go. Zombie. Zombie, not go, stop, unless you tell him to stop. Zombie, not go turn unless you tell him to turn. Zombie, not go think unless you tell him to think. Zombie, oh zombie. Zombie, oh zombie. That's the original 1977 recording. Fela Kuti, the great uh, singer-songwriter band leader from Nigeria. Now here is the cast recording of the same song from the Broadway musical Fela. Fela Kuti's song, Zombie, 
This is from the cast recording from the Broadway musical called Fela. And on this edition of Soundcheck, we are debating the question of innovation versus imitation. And uh, we'll continue in a moment. And when we do, we'll open up the phones and take some of your calls and comments. Our phone number, 212-433-9692, 433-WNYC. Or leave a comment on the Soundcheck page, wnyc.org slash soundcheck. And when we return, one of the artists who is part of this kind of revivalist musical trend will be on the line with us. So uh, that's coming up next. You're listening to Soundcheck. And coming up later, a different kind of revival. New York's own jazz passengers will play songs from their first new album in 12 years live in our studio later on Soundcheck. Check out today's Soundcheck blog. When I first invited Sharon Jones and the Dap Kings to the studio, there were some, even within the Soundcheck staff, who wondered why anyone would bother recreating the James Brown sound when Brown did it so well so long ago. Well, seeing is believing, and watching Sharon Jones and the band in action was a conversion-type experience, even for the Soundcheck doubters. For the rest of the story, visit the Soundcheck page at WNYC.org. This is Soundcheck. I'm John Schaefer. We've been talking about the reincarnation of that red-hot soul sound in new bands like Sharon Jones and the Dap Kings, uh, Kings Go Forth, Eli Paperboy Reed, Auntie Ballas. It's not just soul. It's also found in that AM light radio sound, prog rock acts, and uh, Sasha Frere Jones mentioned this band from Sweden called Dunyan. And uh, we want to hear what you think about this whole question of imitation versus innovation. You can call us at 212-433-WNYC, but you'll have to get in line because, in fact, Eli Paperboy Reed is with us on the line. Uh, Eli, I, I guess I know which way you're going to lean in this in this debate, but uh, good to have you on the show. Yeah, I'm glad. You know, I was just driving around, and I heard heard my name, and, and I figured I would give you guys a call and, and comment. I should um, mention we actually started the show at 2 o'clock with some of Eli Paperboy Reed's music. So, um, you know, what about this, this whole question that Siddhartha has raised about, you know, the music had a context originally that it no longer has today? I just think that's that's you're putting what is essentially pop music in, in uh, on a political pedestal, which is, is, is bizarre. I mean, you can write love songs without a racial or cultural or political context, and that's what soul music really is, is just love songs. I mean, such a small percentage of the songs were really 
you know, I, I mean, I think you could, I guess you could make the argument that, you know, all the, the songs that were love songs were also veiled, you know, racial messages. But I just don't agree with that. I think really what soul music is all about is, you know, powerful emotionalism and, you know, uh, just the artist and singer talking about how they felt at that particular time. It's not doesn't have to be about race or politics. And for me, growing up, that was what attracted me to soul music was was the emotionalism of the thing, not not the you know the struggle or, or any of these uh, you know what I think are, are just terms that have been ascribed to the music in in, in, in retrospect. In, in retrospect, yeah. Now, uh, just uh, Eli, a, a quick and I realize a theoretical question, but if this music had been sort of part and parcel of a political uh, agenda and had this kind of socio-political context to it, would that have stopped you from, you know, from sort of recreating that sound today? I mean, I, I don't. I, I think it's sort of an impossible question to answer. Uh, I, I mean. Again, I mean, uh, to get back to the to the main point, I, I don't feel like I'm recreating anything. I think that this is the music that I was raised on, and 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 I I feel like I'm making something that is essentially a, a product of 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 myself, mm-hmm. you know. But but uh, no, I don't think it would have changed my my opinion about soul music. No. Eli Paperboy Reed with us on the line. Uh, we heard some of his music earlier in the program. Thanks for calling in, Eli. No, no problem. I'm glad to be a part of this. I, Sasha and I have discussed this at length, actually. Mm-hmm. Hey, Eli. And uh, we have a number of comments coming in as well, and as we often do, we'll uh, head on into the control room where our producer, Joel Meyer, is uh, checking out what some of you folks have written in. Joel? Michael from Grand Central writes, to quote Duke Ellington, there are only two types of music, good music and bad music. These two guests both need to lighten up and enjoy the revival. Context, conschmext. Uh, and uh, another listener writes, say what you want about the soul revival, but Sharon Jones and the Dap Kings are innovative by being so great that they transcend imitation. I'd like to note, however, that this comment was submitted by a listener who calls himself the Boogaloo Omnibus from Brooklyn. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what that does for his street cred, I don't know. Uh, but w- what about, uh, you know... Uh, well, I'm looking forward to enjoying music one day. I just I hope <laughs> one day it'll happen, but, you know... Um, are, do you... <laughs> Do you feel this is context-free music, Sasha? Uh, I think this is it's such a we're talking about such a wide bunch of music. I think That's we're true. maybe getting to a point of diminishing returns talking about and there are a lot of different kinds of music we're talking about in the past tense and the present tense. Um there are love songs, but I mean, you know, uh I don't want nobody to give me something, open up the door and I'll get it myself like that is about as explicit a, you know, a, a plea for racial self-determination as you can get so I, I would I would disagree slightly with Eli and uh, well strongly with Eli on a couple of points there because there there's certainly a, a strain of soul that was very much about um, uh, self-empowerment and you know and was part and parcel of the civil rights movement Siddhartha, sounds like, uh, you know, that's kind of the initial point you were making today. Yeah, th- there are two different kinds of conversation we can have here. One is an aesthetic conversation, and, and anybody can make whatever music they're moved to make and whatever art they're moved to make, and people are going to resonate with it uh, according to sure. their own memories, their own nostalgia, et cetera, et cetera. So it's great. The more we have all of these musics out there, the better, the better it is. 
Um, but I think it is worth, uh, you know, what Eli said, notwithstanding, I think it is worth actually thinking about music in a political context. If we talk about, uh, you know, Dunyan uh, working with psychedelia and so on, that's one thing. But Sasha's article really focused on, on um, Sharon Jones and the Dap Kings, which was uh, a revival of, of classic soul, and on Antibalas' work with the Fela Canon. And I can't help but note that uh, the soul revivalism that we're seeing right now, particularly coming out of Daptone, is really led by, you know, Gabriel Roth is a middle-class white guy who writes the songs and who formed the stable. Sure, they're not all white on stage, et cetera, et cetera, but it is coming from that kind of initiative. And if you look at the Fela musical, again... Is that, is that a the, problem? I mean, well, should well, hang, you only hang, hang write on. this music hang if on. you're... No, no, hang, hang on, let me make my point. If you look at the Fela musical, uh, the money behind that is coming from... Hey, capitalist money. There's oil money that was made in the oil industry that that's bankrolling that whole thing. I find it and I find it very interesting that in those musics, musics that come from clear points of struggle, soul music is struggle, Afrobeat is struggle, where race and empire and ethnicity are involved. The more we we fetishize what Daptone is doing or the Fela musical or any of these revivals, even though they're good, I mean the, the work is good. But the more we fetishize them, the more we're looking at black music. Uh, we're making it non-threatening. I mean, it's, we're, we're taking from the past and we're replicating and reproducing and we're keeping it non-threatening. And so I think it's a very, very different sort of démarche, if I can use a pretentious term, when you, uh, when you revive that music than when you revive, say, 70s psychedelia. Hmm. Sasha? I'm just wondering who put out the original Fela records and it's hard for me to imagine that they were exactly angels thinking of... Um, what the uh, record company situation was like in Africa at that time. But anyway... Um, well, and of course, one of the early Fela records was made in L.A. Yes. Um, right. The Are you talking about the Ginger Baker one? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's sort of a lot to get our, our head around there. Um, um, well, let's, it, uh, let me give you a moment oh, to collect okay. your thoughts because we have a caller who's oh, sort good. of in, in, this, uh, the, uh, in this vein of, of talking about Fela and... You know, the sort of revival of interest in Fela Cootie. Sandra is joining us from Brooklyn. Hi, Sandra. Hi, how are you doing? Good. Well, I just wanted to say a couple of things uh, concerning the comment made about the comparison between Antibalas and uh, Fela's music, mm -hmm. the Afro 70, and the, the Egypt 80 and the uh, Africa 70 group. Now, I heard a reference to the uh, 69 Sessions. That was the album that was made in L.A. Right. Those songs were studio quality, very, very short, and they were just uh, innovations on, or they, they were actually um, what became the foundation for Fella's music. So it was clean cut, uh, and the music itself was, the lyrics of the music were all, they, they, they were not put protest uh, music at that point because he hadn't uh, reached that stage in his mental development. It was after coming to the United States and seeing things, he became a conscious person. He went back to uh, Africa, he went back to Nigeria and became more politicized. Now, after that, he didn't care. His music, uh, when he made records, they were uh, on, on, on the rough side, but the quality of the music, of course, not to compare with a studio gig, which is very, very short. Um, well, I think that's one of the points Sasha was making before when he was comparing was that the, you know, you can't, he, you know, uh, Sasha, you were, you were basically saying, I never saw them live. I can only compare to the recordings that I, I have. I was just talking about the ears of a 14-year-old boy who hear, you know, you hear the crack of the drums on Give It Up or Turn It Loose. 
and you know you, you talk about lack of context like you know these were actually on breakbeat records where, where there were no titles I didn't even know who did which track and you know now I hear Afrobeat and I hear a whole different world but I'm saying is as a kid coming up you know those those things which they seem to not matter can also matter enormously even you know even if it's not fairly representative of what they do and we hear different things when i when i first heard afrobeat you know in the 70s again we're, we're the same age I, I i thought about it in the context of third worldism and and national liberation struggles and there especially in the world of what we now call world music almost all the pop music so i mean reggae you know calypso the the music of zimbabwe i mean there's the social and political context to all of that music which you know if we're supposed to keep hands off because of that that you know keeps us at a distance it seems from a lot of really great musical traditions from around the world uh, the context is there it's it, what's what's really interesting is is the meta conversation what we decide to do about it and how we talk about it and how our tastes develop and how we help shape other people's tastes all right, let's, let's take a uh, final caller and uh, uh, someone who, who wishes to remain anonymous but who is apparently quite close to the topic that we're talking about today. Uh, caller, your comment, please. Oh, hi. Uh, this is a, a typically frustrating conversation. Uh, I'm actually enjoying it tremendously. I, I, I love hearing all of these different sides. And I just want to say that, you know, it, it, this is more than anything, it's a human experience. You know, I got involved in Afrobeat because of the political... Uh, because of my political evolution at, at the time. And, you know, we, we have slept on floors. Gabe Roth gave up everything to do what he did and reach the level of success that he has. We have all sacrificed a whole lot. Uh, so do you play with Sharon point. Jones? Can I take uh, it? Can I guess uh, that? I, from I, did, I, I played with Sharon when it was uh, Sharon Jones and the Soul Providers on uh, Desco Records. And I, I currently... You know, I've been in Antibalas for uh, since its inception, and you know, a great deal to do with the with the Fela show. And you know, uh, uh, to Sasha's uh, point about how we sound or this Fela band sounds compared to to Fela's music, I mean, it's it's very uh, uh, thank you uh, because all we're doing is striving to meet the greatness of of that music. Uh, that I think what, that's what what's behind what Gabe does is there we're all striving to meet the greatness of an idea. And we're doing it through our own human experience, and it's about the relationship we have as artists to each other and to audiences. And that and does, and, yeah, that, yeah. I mean, I agree. I, that you know, that's. I think, I think, uh, Siddhartha and Sasha have both sort of mentioned this in their own way. That when you talk about innovation and, and, and imitation, it's sort of an individual process. It's what do you do with the music traditions that that you know and that you love, or that you've come to love that you've learned only recently. Uh, we are in the midst of, of a great revival of interest in funk and soul from both sides of the Atlantic, American and in the case of Fela Kuti in the background the music of the Nigerian Afrobeat scene. Uh, it is a, a big conversation guys. Uh, Sasha Frere Jones, music critic for the New Yorker Siddhartha Mitter, who's a music writer for the Boston Globe. We've barely scratched the surface, but thank you both for being with us on Soundcheck today. It's thank a pleasure. You. bit of music from Fela Kuti in the background. Still to come, the Jazz Passengers. They're a rogues gallery of New York jazz luminaries, and in a moment, they'll perform songs from their first new album in over a decade. That's next on Soundcheck.